Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Wash, rinse, repeat. Another heart-stopping encounter designed to test the cardiovascular vitality of even the most casual viewer. We do not care. Welcome to the Steelers Outpost Podcast, a proud member of the Armchair All-Americans Network. It is November 9th, 2020. This is Tom coming to you from the Sawdust Studios in the Washington, D.C. Outpost, and Nick joins me from the Houston Outpost. The Steelers get lucky to walk away with a 24-19 win. Listen, sometimes it's better to be lucky than to be good. And if you're feeling lucky, you should try your luck at Bet Online. Because this is the place to put your bets. You see the Steelers with a 14.5 spread on the road? Do not take the Steelers under any circumstance. Alert. Do not take the Steelers. It will not be easy. They might lose. They sure as hell won't blow out teams when they need to. But damn, does it matter? No, because you could take them straight up. And if you do bet straight up, why don't you just go ahead and bet with the Steelers so you can win 100% of the time so far this season already. That will be a good move. Maybe you want to bet on some props. Maybe there's a prop on ah, sports' newest curse, the curse of Antonio Brown. Mm, 30 points, 35 points, 35-point loss for the Tampa Bay cursed Buccaneers. I'm calling it right now. Maybe bet online can give you some, some edges on that prop some options if you will because they do give you more options to wager than any other place online the curse is real head to bet online today and take advantage of all the great sign up bonuses bet online ching your online sports book experts nick we are going in the wrong direction with our wagering endeavors mm. we we emerged from this weekend with a two and three record and the lesson, as you rightfully pointed out, the Steelers are never a sure thing, let alone going by a 14-and-a-half-point spread. What were we thinking? We were fools. And I think that we've done a good job uh, not tangenting and, and spiraling out of, of course and, and bearing the lead this week because you're right. The whole story is, up. Oh, the Steelers playing a vastly inferior team on the road. Not just a vastly inferior team, but probably what will end up being a bottom-five team overall in the NFL. Oh, what are the Steelers going to do? Well, they'll probably crush them because not only does Dallas not have their starting quarterback, they don't have their backup quarterback. They're also not going with their third-string quarterback. They are going with a Garrett Gilbert. So you could have just had flashbacks of Terrell Pryor when he was still playing quarterback for the Raiders or maybe long-neck Sean Glennon for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Speaking of which, they're cursed. They're cursed. Or Bruce Gradkowski, even. I think he did it for the Raiders or for the Bengals. I can't remember. One of the 19 teams he played on before he played for the Steelers or the, or the Buccaneers, right? 
just just write it down. If the Steelers are playing a backup quarterback on the road, if they're favored by 10 or over, it's going to be a disaster. But you know what the difference is? This year, the Steelmen don't lose to these, to these plebeians. They found a way to pull out the win. I think all of us can have a negative taste in our mouth, but it is kind of hard when you've just set the record for the best start to a Steelers season in the history of this dominant franchise. So we'll take that as it is. You escaped the fire with still the number one seed in the AFC and a chance to look at all the things you did wrong, of which there are plenty of examples to look at. How do you feel? Well, let me just say that it was pretty easy to map out this episode, and I would say that we could just dust off the notes from any number of previous games, but there's actually no dust on those notes because this is exactly, this followed the script, and I'm kicking myself that we bought into that 14.5 point spread. I said it all along, I don't believe in jinxes, but I believe in patterns, and there is nothing that would tell us the Steelers are going to blow anybody out this season save the Browns' first game. So do I feel, yeah. I feel, look, it's a bright, shiny day here in your nation's capital. Huh. No riots out in the street. I feel great. Wait, no, I'm going to forget about how we got there and just enjoy the moment. Yeah, I don't think that anything has really changed that dramatically for me after watching the Steelers yesterday. There, there's so many things you could think about. Okay, where's the problem? The first problem is, look, it, it, it starts with this Mike Tomlin issue with him not being able to get teams up for games. I mean, it's, it, it's so – this isn't a trend. This is – a fact. This is a Swiss watch. I mean, this is going to happen. I think he's something like 2-10 and 10 against the spread when Steelers are 10-point favorites on the road. I mean, it happens every year like we know. And by the way, when I say that, that doesn't mean Tomlin isn't an awesome coach. Of course he is. He should get coach of the year this year. He's the man. But everybody has weaknesses, and you know that this is a weakness that the Steelers are going to have to overcome every year. And they overcame it this time. So that's the positive. Yes, Ben's been his quarterback this whole time, so sometimes maybe you see in some of those games where maybe Ben wasn't getting the ball off, but they didn't even give Ben a chance to, to, to take the game into his own hands for the whole first half, much like last week against the Ravens. And then the instant they give him the chance to take the game over, he does it. I mean, I think that uh, we'll be talking a lot about that and the play calling and the strategy and the fact that eight games into the season and the team still doesn't have an offensive identity. They're trying to be this power run and defense team, and we average two yards a carry. I mean, we just don't have the players to run power run at this point. So I don't know why they keep doing that, but uh, I guess we can get more into that as we go along. (sighs) What went wrong during this game? Well, of course... Like I was saying, number one, they weren't ready for the game. I think that you came off of three incredibly emotional wins against important teams, and you're talking about the Browns, the Titans, and the Ravens. They didn't get their energy up. I think they gave up a few plays early. They weren't aggressive enough on the field. Some drops, you know, Claypool dropping that pass early. That should have been a 50-yard touchdown to start the game. I think that that would have maybe sent the, the game in a much different direction. And, uh, yeah, it was just sloppy. And uh, there's some bigger issues. And I think when I look at the, the big issues, it's, number one, the, the play calling is a massive issue. The fact that, what did they get? I mean, they're getting 24 yards and a half, and that's normal for them for the past two weeks. And then what do they do? They turn to Ben. They go five wide. They basically run one formation. Ben calls up plays in the dirt. Ramon Foster was tweeting online laughing, saying that Ben is just – telling these receivers what to run. And I'm pretty sure that guy knows a thing or two about how the Steelers' offense operates. So I don't think that Ben saying they're making a place is total conjecture. I think that that's partially happening. And then they, they take advantage of these defenses by running five wide. But even that strategy is, is risky. 
you, you got to change the formations a little bit. So I think the play calling is the big issue. And then I guess to wrap this up, the run defense is scary right now. And I know Bush and Alu-Alu are out, but there seem to be some schematic uh, deficiencies that the, the Cowboys were able to take advantage of maybe based off of what happened to the Steelers against the Ravens. So I don't know what the excuse is for not being able to stop the run, but that's definitely scary. Well, it's scary because all three fast actually – I like coaching is the fourth facet is scary. You don't have a multidimensional offense, as you pointed out. Uh, the play calling is just so suspect. Defense has shown two weeks in a row that they can easily get gashed, and special teams oh. has just unwound. Yeah. It, it was the perfect storm, right? So when, like, you see – Oh, the, the Cowboys look pretty good on their first drive. I don't think much of it at all. I'm like, you know, it's backup quarterback theory. This guy, he's actually played a lot of football, Gary Kilbert, so he's not scared to throw the ball down the field a little bit. By the way, you guys, look at that guy compared to Mason Rudolph. Wouldn't you rather have Gilbert compared to Mason Rudolph? Look how he pushes the ball down the field with speed on the ball, not these lollipops that sit up there for 10 minutes at a time. Anyways, I don't want to talk about Mason Rudolph anymore after I had to watch him for a short amount of time yesterday. But... I think uh, the special teams collapsing is like, oh, perfect. Yeah, this is one of the ingredients it takes for you to have that horrible off day and lose to a terrible team. You got receivers dropping the ball on on touchdowns. You got uh, guys giving up big plays on defense, and then the special teams thing doesn't work. The other team takes a risk and runs a couple of trick plays. Those work out for you. And, yeah, I think, uh, you know, but if we're talking about special teams, how great was Boz? All things considered, right? I mean, to miss the first extra point, to come back, he misses a long field goal again, gets another chance at it, ends up setting the Steelers' record. By the way, we've never kicked a 60-yard field goal. Wow. He hit a 59-yarder, sets the Steelers' record for longest field goal, and uh, overall performed admirably despite not knowing if he was going to get basically punched in the face anytime he tried to kick the ball because we couldn't block anybody. That's funny. You, you're sort of amazed that we don't have a 60-yard field goal because as I was growing up, I think the only thing that came, well, the one 60-yard field goal was Tom Dempsey, and I think it was a 63-yard field goal. I think that that record stood for a century. Half a foot, right? Half a foot. Saints? It's amazing. Straight on kicker. Yeah. There you go. I think he was for the Saints. I can't remember, but... Well, I guess, you know, they talked about Boz hitting 60-yarders in practice, but I also I think the, the confounding factor there is they've got to, they have to start with a lower trajectory and expose the ball uh, to the defensive line. But right. you don't really need to worry about the trajectory when you just let the, have an ole from the offensive line. Yeah, quite. Okay, so let's, let's get some organization here. I know we usually swap week to week on defense to offense, but my thing is that the offense – the play calling, just to get more specific, if I had to put it into one sentence, they play scared. They coach scared and they play scared. That's why everything is a handoff on first down. I mean, this I, we've been saying it the whole year, right, Dad, it's since last year. The second and long running thing, it's going to bite them in the ass when they play in the playoffs. Because basically all you're doing is punting. You're just giving up on a drive. I mean, it was second and 14. They put Benny freaking Snell in. Have any of you seen anything from Benny Snell to say that you need to see more of him? What has he ever done? He had 100 yards one time. You don't think that someone else could have had 100 yards that game too? It wasn't him breaking tackles and spinning past people. He ran through some holes. They put him in second and 14. Steelers are losing the whole game, so it's not like we're up by any amount of points. And they run the ball off tackle from under center. 
Like, that's going to bite them in the butt. But the bigger thing to me is starting with all the little handoffs to Connor. He's got nowhere to run. He gets gobbled up while he gets, you know, right when he gets the ball. All the little screens and everything like that. They never throw the ball over the middle of the field past 10 yards. There's no digs. There's no deep slants. There's no posts. There's no seam routes. You don't attack the defense at all. And so now they know that they can press up on you. Because you're not going to throw it deep. And then you could say, hey, well, wait, Nick. They throw, you know, a couple fades at the beginning of every game. They let Claypool or Deontay go straight, and Ben throws them. It basically throws them, you know, five yards past the guy because he wants to make sure that nobody catches it or his receiver catches it. By the way, that's not an inaccurate thing to me. We saw that a couple years ago when he couldn't hit Martavis, and there was something up with them. And it's like, man, he's just overthrowing them. This year on those go routes to the outside, it just seems like a conservative throw because when the guys have been open, he's hit them and they've dropped it with Deontay a couple weeks ago and Chase this week. But uh, when you throw those go routes, like it looks like the corners are running the routes for them. And why is that? Because every week the scripted play is handoff to Connor on first down. Uh, it doesn't work. Throw some sort of reverse or a little crossing pattern or, like, try and take your deep shot, but it's just going to be a guy running straight on the, on the sideline. So it's like a perfunctory thing. You're not really stressing out the defense. They just know, hey, he's going to do a short cross or he's going to go straight. You need to run something down the middle of the field, attack. And that's what they start doing when they get desperate and they have to go to the no huddle and Ben is hitting Juju for 30-yard touchdowns and, and they're moving the ball pretty easily against these teams. So I don't know why they're scared. Do they think Ben's going to get re-injured? Do they have some sort of weird fetish to be the old-school Pittsburgh Steelers? Or like, hey, we're going to play field position. As long as we don't turn the ball over, then our defense will win games for us. Is that what they're going with? Because I think you and I know that's not going to be enough to get all the way through the playoffs this year, which should be the Steelers' goal. Well, just give me a little – I'll give you a little bit of context. I, I kind of wrapped up some of these numbers and looked at the, the rushing numbers. So – 30 in the first half 31 yards on 12 carries impressive mm. second half 15 yards on six carries so i've been tracking this game after game i mean the pattern emerges as you pointed out that this just this conservative play calling in the first half is not successful but maybe maybe there's beauty in symmetry or consistency there's not because we keep hanging around with teams and the offense just looks like crap. I mean, when you watch them, it looks like crap. Because, by the way, it's not just the runs. It's the one-yard passes, which are de facto runs. And all that says to me is they're playing scared. Like, what are you, what are you nervous about? Like, yeah, you're going to throw in inter- a, a few more interceptions. But you're not going to have this shamrock up your butt the whole year like you're having right now. And I'm not saying the Steelers are getting lucky winning these games, really. I mean, even though I just made that shamrock comment. I'm just saying they're not reaching their potential. They're playing worse than the talent they have. I mean, this receiver group is obscene. Ben is, I think he's much better right now than people are realizing. Um, You know, PFF made that comment before the get pro football focus put out that video before the game saying the Steelers aren't the best team in the league. Why? Because Ben Roethlisberger is holding them back. So none of us here are shocked to hear the media trying to pin all of the Steelers struggles on Ben. I noticed that I haven't heard any apologies for all of the media outlets that said it was Ben's fault that Antonio Brown left and Le'Veon Bell left. I, I, I feel like they must be pushing that back on their programming because of course they would apologize for hot trash takes and blatant biased reporting, but I'm I'm sure they'll get to it soon. Anyways, I think Ben, so they made this comment about how Ben is holding the team back. 
And I even tweeted about it saying, like, all right, don't dig that headline because that's clearly a clickbaity kind of bullcrap oversimplification here. This team wins eight games last year with plug one new player in, and they go eight and no. Uh, I'm pretty sure he's doing all right. But I also said that he's working his way back from a destroyed elbow. He has no elbow, and no preseason games to work with. We're halfway through the year, and over the past two weeks, he's started to heat up a little bit. You've started to see Ben do that. Like, let's see what happens when Ben passes 12 times in a row. Oh, touchdown drives? Interesting. I think he's playing better than we think, and the coaches need to realize that it's time to cut him loose a little bit too because this is ridiculous. They should have beat that team by 40 points. Well, look, I guess the point I want to make, to get back to the the theme, which is the the calls, if you look at chart – we got 87% of our production from passing and 13 from the run. And that is the lowest. 46 yards is the lowest all season. So if you look at the chart, it's going down. Rushing rushing as a percentage of total yardage is noticeably decreasing game after game. What's going on? It, it's like, other than the Ravens, we're playing the same level of team. I mean, I know that we're not playing the cream of the crop in the NFL. So let's, let's just say you're playing kind of a consistent defense and the rush is getting worse. Yeah. Nothing's happened on the offensive line. Maybe you need to bring Dotson back. I don't Maybe know. Maybe you do need to bring Dotson back because they've had some good Something's going wrong. There, there, there aren't the holes. It can't be. I mean, they I don't believe it's They gone. don't have the personnel. This, this offense can't run in that successful fashion. I think it's strategic. I think they could run well if you use the pass to set up the run and not the other way around. You can only use the run to set up the pass in this day's NFL if you have five big sons of guns up the front who are going to murder people and a running back who's so exceptional, which James Conner is not. He's great. Love James Conner, one of the better running backs in the NFL, but it's not Dalvin Cook back there where you can just hand the ball to the guy. I think that if they play through the pass, they pass downfield a little bit, which brings in more defensive backs, which doesn't let everybody cram up towards the line of scrimmage because they know, hey, if they're not running it, they're passing in this area anyway, so we're going to cram towards the line of scrimmage. It's going to open up running lanes for James Conner out of shotgun. He's phenomenal at running outside of shotgun, and this line is good at pulling and being fast and being agile and pass protecting. That's their strength. So when you just line it up and every team says, huh, so they've played eight games and every single first series goes the same way, pretty sure we know what to do. It's just not going to work. But how do you explain the f- getting over 100 yards in the first five games? What's changed? Well, wait, what do you mean 100 yards? Oh, well, first off, you played the Giants in the first game. You played the Broncos in the second game. 16 for 106 is what Connor got. He had a 59-yard run in there. So otherwise, do that math. You know, he's 50, 15 for about 50 yards in that game. They get 100 yards versus the Texans, who have a bottom two or three defense in the league. Great, whatever. The Eagles, they, James Conner goes 15 for 44 yards, 2.9 yards a carry. You get your 100 against the Browns, that's good. Titans shut you down. Ravens shut you down, 15 for 47. Cowboys shut you down. It's just the predictability. The Steelers don't have so much skill at the running positions that they can just you like tell the team what they're going to do and still be able to run it. They have skill. They have a good running back. They have good linemen, but not so much where you can just tell them this is exactly what we're going to do every time and it worked because that's the problem with the Steelers. It's predictable. They come out with the same crap scripted plays every single week so the teams know where you're going to run. They need to switch it up. Attack them where you don't think they're going to be attacked. Look at what the Buffalo Bills did to the Seahawks yesterday. The Buffalo Bills won two weeks ago against 
the New England Patriots with a heavy run attack because they knew the the Patriots were undermanned. They have they're small on defense. They've been gashing uh, run yards to every team they've been playing, and the Bills win the game with a ton of rushing attempts. The the they play the Seahawks and they throw the ball almost every damn play and light the Seahawks on fire because the Seahawks have a bad passing defense. Pete Carroll and the Seahawks admitted after the game. Well, we saw them play the Patriots, and we thought that they were going to run a lot more. So we sold a lot out to stop the run. Well, guess what? That's how the okey-doke works. The Steelers need to do that. I guarantee you if they come out the next game and they throw a bunch of digs and over the middle of the field, they're going to score in three freaking plays because nobody would ever expect the Steelers to do that because they haven't done it a single time the whole year. Well, I think you mentioned this earlier, the um, two and four, second and 14, hand off to Snell. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I agree with you. The only thing I'm asking, and you you went through each of those games and explained how you got to 100. All I'm saying, five games over 100 is a pattern, and you do you if your offense is clicking, you will be able to break a few and add yeah. to the the yard total. I just wonder sure. what happened because it's a precipitous drop off. What was the di- what is the difference? It it seems like it has to be play calling because we have the same offensive line. Let me ask you about the offensive line. I mean, this is it, that's why my point about them is it's becoming less effective. I don't know whether it's the O line or the play calling. Let me point out one thing though: they were highly effective at protecting Ben. The one scary thing is that so he was not sacked. He was hit twice, one critical time, but they're good at protection. Yeah, they're 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 good enough, I think, and I think that that's another reason why. The Steelers try to get the ball out of Ben's hands so much because they know if they lose, the, if they have this guy and he's playing at 75% of dominant Ben level, you legitimately have a chance at the Super Bowl, even if he's not being dominant. Now, it's a lower chance because we know in this day and age, to get to the Super Bowl without a great quarterback, you have to be so dominant in every other facet, like the 49ers running for 200 yards a game last year, whatever it is. Um, but... You know, it's not like he has all day back there. It's he, he gets the ball out of his hands quicker than any other quarterback in the entire league by, like, a high margin. It does seem sometimes when he is trying to sit back there, I mean, there, there's people around him. But the defensive line for Dallas is much more talented than people realize. And if you look at, like, um, I want to look up the team stats for some of these rushing. It's not that I'm saying the Steelers can't run the ball. Because, like we said, James Conner, he, he finds a way to squeeze yards out. We know the linemen... Aren't, aren't what they were four or five years ago, but they're pretty damn good still. They're just not good enough to run the ball when they tell the other team they're going to run it. In the Le'Veon Bell era at the end, they ran 10 straight run plays against the Miami Dolphins in the wild card round on the third drive of the game. 10 straight runs, 80 yards, touchdown, drive. That, at that point, they could tell people, we're going to run at you. There's nothing you can do to stop us. The, the 49ers last year could do the same thing. The Ravens just did it to the Steelers last week. Hey, we're going to run the option for our two-minute drill, and you're still not going to be able to stop it, the Ravens said. The Steelers don't have that, and for some reason, that's how they're approaching teams. If they can get you off balance, then hell yeah, they can get some yards off the run. But just this predictability and this scared play calling to me is what's holding the team back right now. Hey, just out of curiosity, did you notice Anthony McFarlane getting into the game for like at the beginning of the second quarter? He was the yeah. I, I wonder why they why the shift to to McFarland just to test him out. I love getting McFarland the ball some more. I mean that carry he missed last week on that counter play where for some reason he juked his way into the line when he might have legitimately had a ninety yard touchdown on his hands. That was a bad rep. That put a bad taste in my mouth too. But. He just offers something that none of the other Steelers running backs offer. I mean, every other backup Steelers running back is just a, a worse version of James Conner. 
But this guy has some real elite speed and explosion that just pops off the screen. But he clearly is very unpolished. I mean, I can see why he slipped. Because when he's good, you say, oh, my God, did the Steelers just get a huge steal? Look how explosive this guy is. But then he falls down a lot. He jukes into nothing. It seems like the game is going so fast for him. He's not able to process what's going on. And he jukes when people aren't even there. But if you can get him some reps, then maybe he can get some experience and become a weapon. Because that would be yet another guy that would fit into the Steelers' short pass offense. And by the way, once again, I'm not saying that the short pass isn't a good thing or the run isn't a good thing. They're going great. But the Steelers are exclusively doing those things, and they're ignoring other parts of the game. So if you just diversify a little bit, put the games in Ben's hands a little bit more, not the Killer Bees era style, but just a little bit more to keep defenses off balance, maybe you get a guy like McFarlane in there and you start throwing swing passes to him the way that the Saints do to Alvin Kamara or... You know, you could throw screens to him a little bit better than you would never have to have, you know, what's his name, number 38, Jalen Samuels on the field again and stuff. So I like them trying to get him in there. I'm sure if he's ineffective for a long period of time, that experiment will stop. But I like the attempt because we already know what we have in Snell and Samuels. Well, just to put a period on this, do you think Matt Canada got benched? You know what? That's actually a, a, a funny point because I did not see as many of the reverses and the chicanery as we've seen. I saw a little bit of it, but not enough. Let's turn our attention to the other side of the ball. And we'd already mentioned how the Steelers got gashed. I forget if I mentioned I was keeping track of this. So there were five, plus five splash plays ranging from 10 to 220-yard runs. Looked a lot like Baltimore last week where we, we were gashed for five plus 10 brushes. Yes, and I think that's a tape kind of thing. you got to watch, watch what's happening. Uh, it seems a little bit schematic, of course, because I think the injuries are bigger than people are realizing because there were a lot, lot of comments on Twitter about, hey, Tyson Alulu has been incredible this season. but And that's not an understatement. I mean, the guy's been really good. But him being out shouldn't make this much of a difference when you still have Stefan Tuitt, Cam Hayward, and all the guys in there. But I feel like, are you guys forgetting that we also lost Devin Bush? And he's pretty damn good. And as much as we love Robert Spillane, oh, man, who said this? Okay, so Mark Madden, you know, the he's just he's a shock jock, Pittsburgh kind of guy, radio personality, more WWE than, you know, sports talk than anything. It's for entertainment, I guess. But he was on Pat McAfee's podcast last week. And he talked about Spillane and how he doesn't like Spillane and – he actually made a one decent point in there saying like Spillane is the new duck where I, I do think there's some truth to that. I, like, I think Spillane clearly has shown that he has more ability to be effective in his position than duck did. I mean, Spillane's made some really good plays like but beyond the interception and standing Derrick Henry up in the hole. I mean, that deflection he had on third down was really nice. He had a couple other big hits, but I also think, we might just love him so much because he made two big plays really early in his tenure. <laughs> and, uh, like, he's fun to root for, but you also got to remember, he didn't make teams for a reason. Having Devin Bush in there would really help this run game. I think they'll be okay with Spillane, but let's find out, because it's been two games, and it's been very, very bad. And I'm not saying well, Devin Bush would have shut it down, but th- I think that that's a factor as well. Well, you do have um, Isaiah Bugs, Carlos Davis got some, got some shots, as did uh, Henry Mondil. So there, there's a lot of, um, not journeymen, but... There's a lot of youth in the middle of the lawn right now, in addition to Spillane yeah. backing that up. 
Yeah, that's tough. And Wormley didn't work. I mean, Wormley's on IR, so you're you're really far down on your plan for your line. And the steel, it, it is admirable though. Like the Steelers have done well. The offensive line and defensive line have gone through some some injuries, and they've been able to weather it. And I guess they're not weathering it super effectively right now on defense because of uh, you know the rush yards given up. So I'm not saying this is Spillane's fault by any means, but I do think that there's a couple factors that are going into it. It looks like the Ravens might have exposed a few things on tape. You know, we said last week, teams aren't going to be able to do to the Steelers what the Ravens did. The Ravens can run on the damn steel curtain. They have just so many options with Lamar playing quarterback for them. But uh, maybe they did expose a few things that Dallas was able to take care of. And now Mike Tomlin and the boys have... Two weeks of tape to look at to, to bottle that up. So I'd be surprised if that trend kept happening. Hopefully the Steelers can put a little bit of a bottle on that. And, and, and honestly, look, like Ezekiel Elliott, he has just been so downhill since his contract. But he had moments yesterday where it's like, oh, yeah, that's what Ezekiel Elliott looks like. He is a torpedo of a man. And when it's a one-yard gain, he launches himself forward for six. And it's just so frustrating. But, uh yeah. Yeah, that, 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 that run defense is concerning. There were concerning things in the past defense. And now I'm actually pretty psyched that the Steelers are going to be playing Joe Burrow, who likes to throw the ball down the field. Because I'm nervous about the Steelers getting no reps against teams that can throw down the actual field that way. Because obviously even Garrett Gilbert completed a few, and, and we got to see what the Steelers have. Well, let's assess the pressure because there were. Well, I was watching Twitter and there were guys complaining about the pressure. Steelers had two sacks, nine quarterback hits, and seven tackles for losses. So three quarterback hits coming from Cam and three from TJ. Didn't it seem like it all happened at the end, though? Like, I felt a little bit weird because I would think out of all the guys on the Steelers who would not need motivation, I would think that those blue-collar dudes, that, that defensive front, I would think they need no motivation. But it just sort of seemed like when the game was on the line, they put the team on their back. Cam Hayward with that incredible one-armed bull rush to, on fourth down. TJ breaking in a couple of different times at the end. Where was that in the first half? Well, to your point, no sacks in the first half. Two tackles for losses and no quarterback hits. Yeah, I think that's So, yeah, I don't know. Not, I, this is like it's an armchair. This is like such a little bar stool type of... Uh, uh, theory, but it really sort of does seem like, yeah, they just were not, they didn't take the game seriously enough. I think that they rolled in there thinking like, oh, we're, we're the Steelers, we're going to beat this trash Cowboys team. It looked like Cam was pinned down by the Lilliputians in Gulliver's Travels and then just decided <laughs> I'm not taking this anymore. And you definitely saw um, an ascension in the second half and the intensity, yeah. especially at the end there. When you're, yeah, and it's a perfectly legitimate question. If you listen to... Um, so you listen to the post-game interviews? Yeah. There wasn't a whole lot of daylight shed, nor, nor do they usually, as to why the change in you know the defensive intensity. I think that it all relates back to that thing with that Tomlin and Ben teams in this era, uh, although I can't put this one on Ben this time because they just didn't put the ball in his hands, and the instant that they did, everything changed for them. But uh, they... You know, Tomlin has this amazing ability to build up his players through confidence. He's not a tear-you-down kind of guy. He's a build-you-up kind of guy, but who also tells it to you very real. That's what all the players say that they actually appreciate about him. You're talking about especially bubble roster players in training camp. They're like, we know exactly where we stand with him. He's like, you're not going to make it if you don't do this. Or like, hey, this is your chance. So it's not like he's Pete Carroll 
who has like assistant coaches deliver bad news to teammate, you know, to certain players on the team. And eventually that rubs people the wrong way. I'm not saying that about Tomlin. I'm just saying he operates off this motivation thing. That's why the Steelers are so damn good at nighttime on national TV. I feel like when the bigger the game, the better the Steelers are, the more badass they look in those uniforms. And when the game isn't big enough, they, they don't know how to get up for the games. Because it just looked like, yeah, it was Gulliver's, Gulliver's Travels, like you said. Gulliver's Island. Gulliver's, you know. Gilligan's Island. Yeah, Gulliver's Glove. That's exactly right. He was, like, they just, Cam and those guys just picked up the offensive linemen and moved them back into the quarterback in the fourth quarter. It's like, you could have done that the whole game. And if you looked at that run game, the Steelers were getting pushed back and they were on their heels. And I think, you know, they should have been a little bit more psyched. But... It's nice to see the fact that uh, Minka Fitzpatrick has a magnet in the football and another one in his hands. I think Mina Kimes made a comment yesterday on Twitter saying, "Like, listen, Minka Fitzpatrick is so good, but he must be the most—he must be the most charmed player in the NFL. The ball always just bounces to him." And I've said before, I think that that's actually a little bit of a skill. Ed Reed had that skill too. Where it's like you just know where to be around so the ball bounces to you. But I can't even deny. I mean, who was it? Sutton. He stripped C.D. Lamb on that slant, and he slipped, stripped it violently, and it shot out. It shot out like a quarterback threw it right to Minka. And then when the Steelers collapsed on Gilbert in the red zone, the ball just flutters into the middle of the field. Who's there? It's Minka, baby. But then once again, how weird is this? Two weeks in a row, the opposing offense has one shot to win the game from the 30-yard line. Minka knocks it down. You know, So I do think that Minka actually had a very nice game. Joe Hayden had maybe the play of the game on – that crazy play where TJ and the boys were sacking Garrett Gilbert. Somehow he squirted the ball out to Ezekiel Elliott, and there was nothing but daylight. And he originally looked like he broke Joe Hayden's tackle, but he held onto his foot and was able to get him down. That was a huge play. So guys made plays here and there. It just, there's no excuse. I mean, you should have eaten that team alive. I'm, I just keep going back to coaching. When they talked to Tomlin, they asked why the slow start. He said, we're just getting hit in the teeth and we got to combat that. Nothing. They asked why Gilbert was so effective and he was effective. He said they were just on schedule. They had a good game plan and execution. This is this. We didn't have, well, we had a game plan. We had the (laughs) last week's game plan. Right. And they said, and the why exclusively go on pass and on pass offense in the second half was that intentionally said, well, we, we noticed they didn't have a D for a spread offense. Hey, that's disturbing. Yeah. They said that last week too. Why do you not notice this? When you, you, we could have told you their best corner is a rookie from Alabama's digs. They, they don't have people to line up with your damn receivers. They had to let them all go because they want to pay all the offensive guys. It's ridiculous. Like, why is this taking you to the second half? That's the identical thing they said last week, which, by the way, didn't even make sense for me against Baltimore. I'm like, you mean the team with the best corners in the league? It just looked more like nothing else was working. We were like, Ben, save us. And he did. Do it at the beginning. I mean, it is is ridiculous. So, uh, and by the way, you know, they never give us any information on why they play down to these teams because – he doesn't know why. That's why it keeps happening. So he has no idea why. He's just up in their press conference like, what do I got, five more minutes? Let's get this thing over with. I, I don't know the answer. I wish somebody would tell me the answer. Let's move on to special teams because we, we noted the good and the bad. I mean, we said awful special teams, but in fact, Boswell had the record and Jordan Berry had a particularly good day, especially getting us out of the hole. Of course, right? The one day where he, he had a long of 62. He had an average of 50 yards. Yeah, 
Yep. And uh, but it looks like the Steelers survived without a loss in this special teams debacle. Remember in the early two thousands, pre Ben, with those great, with a couple of the great Cordell playoff teams, we would always get undone by special teams. <laughs> um, just like the damn AFC championship game or the block field goal, Troy Brown touchdown that sucked. But uh, the reason why you run a throwback play on a kickoff like the Cowboys did is because you see something on film with the Steelers kick coverage. So now that play should be done. Like no one else is doing that to us. We've, we've seen it. We escaped with a win. It didn't, it didn't take us out of the win column that way. So um, I think the Steelers, yeah, maybe we got to get Blaine back there on the field. I don't know if he was on there or not. I know Claypool still plays special teams sometimes, which is just insane to me. But uh, – He's so damn good at it. It's kind of hard to keep him off. Hopefully the Steelers, um, you know, get back on the train there. Uh, Derek, the kid on Twitter, put up a good cut-up of Jordan Dangerfield, superstar captain, on that play for that long return where he ran all the way down the field to the original guy on the right side of the field who caught the kick, and he is the dude that hustled all the way back to basically dive. I don't even know what he was doing. He, like, dove in the way of this the, 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 the Cowboys player who must not be used to running with the ball because he should have just jumped over him and scored, a la Eric Ebron. But, uh, yeah, Dangerfield, amazing hustle play. So it is nice to have him out there still. And that's why you sign guys for special teams because that was an amazing play. So how much do you think that the – Ref, the officiating helped out the Steelers. I mean, you just mentioned that that return, which is legitimate. I mean, it, Dangerfield right. put him in a put himself in a position to have that penalty called. Oh, it helped in no way, shape, or form. And and Cowboys fans are out there acting like there's being points shaved. But you know what? The only thing that needs to get shaved right now is done by Manscaped. All right, everybody, this is men's below-the-belt grooming, and now it really applies to everything. Manscaped is the best, everybody. I'll just tell you right now, I got the whole kit, and that lawnmower 3.0, it's a thing of beauty. What do I do? I get in the shower, I turn the lights off, I put the blackout blinds on. Guess what? They got a little light bulb on the bottom of that thing. And, uh, yeah, you can just, you know, I don't know, put it on some Bjork. I don't know what you do. That's not my thing. But either way... It makes it impossible for you to have nicks and cuts. You can shave in the shower. You can shave in the dark. They got balms. They got creams, anti-chafing cream. They got a crop reviver. They got colognes. They got everything. You know, they mastered, mastered the game when it comes to razors and electric shavers. And so they've moved out. They've branched out. And everything is of a premium quality. And I myself use it, so I got to recommend it. And guess what? Listeners of this show get 20% off. That's a lot of percentages. A lot of percent points, if you will. 20% off and free shipping with the code armchair at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com if you use that code armchair. So we're going we're gonna to look a little more scant at the odds next week, obviously. We always pick the Steelers. I mean, I would not have not picked that bet. Of course. But we're going to what that over and under was 44. Do you realize that? And we've took the under and we went back and forth. Do you remember that discussion? I remember we changed it. Neither right one of us. Yeah. Cause I was imagining the Cowboys getting seven points and I thought there's no way the Steelers are going to get 37. There's something's going to happen. You know, I was right for the wrong reasons. This was just the easiest game to predict. I mean, everybody knows the Steelers are going to play down in this situation, but for some reason I was completely calm about it all week. I thought, 
this year is a little bit different. The Steelers are just so well-rounded, and the Cowboys are so exceptionally bad because they're so far down their depth chart with all those injuries that I don't think the Steelers are going to have a problem. Okay, and then I told you that'll never happen again. I will... We will always bet on the Steelers, but I'll be careful when messing with those lines. The good thing for you is that Bet Online has the best lines and the best props in the business. They're going the extra mile to make sure that you can get in on all the action that you could possibly imagine this season. From game spreads and totals to team player and coaching props, Bet Online gives you more options to wager than any other place online. So head to Bet Online today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Bet Online, ching your online sportsbook experts. Hey, one thing I was uh, I noticed that I failed to bring up when we were talking about defense and defensive calls. Did you notice a lot of linebackers having to watch wide receivers yesterday? Yeah, they got schemed up. Kellen Moore figured them out. I mean, two of the biggest plays of the game. We got T.J. Watt covering C.D. Lamb, sort of. Yeah. Well, and of course we know, obviously he's not manned up man to man. It's a zone scheme. I think Hayden might've gotten dragged out of the zone there or something like that. But, uh, like that, th- that's just the point. Like we just see this all, all too often. What do we have? Uh, Spillane covering CD lamb on another critical play. So Steelers got schemed up, you know, hint, shades of Keith Butler returning. Look at that. Maybe the sample size is getting large. They need to go back to the drawing board. Back to what you said about the refs though. I saw one or two Cowboys fans, just miserable people, trying to talk about the ref. Like, what are you talking about? Every, every, okay, the big call that helped the Steelers was the roughing the passer on Ben. And your only complaint about that can be that that rule kind of sucks, where you can't hit the quarterback in the helmet because so many times it's involuntary and it's like, it doesn't really hurt him. You know, so it just seems like, uh, for the optics, it's just such a crappy way to get a second chance. But it was by the rule book. The guy's giant forearm came and smashed Ben on the head. It's going to get called every single time. You can't be like, oh, that's, they're giving that to Ben Roethlisberger, Hall of Famer. Like, n- no, that's just the penalty. He committed the penalty. There you go. If they want to talk about a pass interference on CeeDee Lamb in the end zone, what about the two pass interferences on Chase Claypool? I mean, they showed the replay today of the, of the post route that he ran. Oh, they ran a post route, and he was wide open, and it was going to be a 50-yard touchdown? Interesting. Maybe you should try that again. And the Dallas quarterback, cornerback, I mean, it was bad in person, but when you watch the replay today, I mean, he has both arms wrapped around Chase Claypool's entire body before the ball even gets in frame. I mean, it's bad. So anything that they want to say about the refs, you could do that all day. It was going back and forth. It's very ticky-tack, you know. And any pass interference they're looking for, it was done to Chase Claypool as well. So I don't think there was a factor whatsoever. Well, there are a couple, there are a couple interesting stats. The Steelers are third in turnover production at a plus seven and they maintain hegemony in the sack category with 32 the next uh, highest is the buccaneers with 29 so i'll say this and go ahead no please what else i just point out that that is 65 straight games with a sack for the steelers which is four shy of the nfl record i think that they're gonna get it you know i this this team is is special and there's something special about them and those stats that you just listed led to my tweet earlier today, which is the fact that the Steelers are never good in the first half of the season in this past decade, right? That's why they have that stat of, well, before the last two years when you had Mason Rudolph and then the year before, which was the, 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 um, you know, the crumbling 
and refs actually did play a little bit of part of that when you're talking about that Saints game and the Chargers game with the free touchdowns and so on and so forth. But there was a crumbling that happened there in the Antonio Brown saga. Besides that, you looked at Tomlin's record over like seven straight years when you're talking about the second half of the season, and it's 7 7-1, 8-0, 6-2, 6-2, 7-1. This, the Steelers always play poopy in the first half of the year. That's when they always lose their game to the Buccaneers or whatever basement-dwelling team you want to list is. They always do it then, and then they get their stuff together, and they slowly get better over the course of the year. The Saints are a bit of a similar team. They kind of lose a couple in the very first few games, and then eventually they get their formula down, and they get it going. The Steelers haven't even gotten it going yet, in my opinion. They're just showing some things. With Ben, the past two games, the little flashes we've shown of like, oh, the downfield passing game has, has returned a little bit. There's, there's moments of that. That's what we need. They're showing that they can improve. We've, they've gotten exposed on a couple of their biggest issues, so I think that'll lead to the Steelers hopefully fixing those. But they're 8-0, and and they're not even playing their best football at all. How do they keep winning these games? Well, it's because they have a laughably high number of superstar all-pro type players. When the game was on the line, Cam grabs a man, a grown man, an adult professional athlete man with one arm and pushes him back through a bunch of other professional athletes. He's playing against one arm, Ben? He grabs this two-armed man with his single arm. That's right. And T.J. Watt's doing the same thing. Juju Smith-Schuster is catching the ball in the middle of the field and trucking two people to get into the end zone. You know, Deontay Johnson is, is, is tightrope walking along the sideline. Ben is picking apart a defense at will when he needs to. And guys are just making huge plays because the Steelers and Minka Fitzpatrick, same way. Like, they just have so many unbelievable players on every, every side of the ball, including special teams with Dangerfield and Boswell and these guys. So... That's what's great about this Steelers team. There's just so many damn great players. I don't think another team has a, um, a spread of that many on both sides of, of the ball. But uh, we just have to see that strategy come up a little bit. And I really think it comes to, like, just please don't play scared. There, there's, a, there's an element of that when you're undefeated, right? You're, like, scared to lose the game. Don't be scared. Throw downfield. You could start beating teams by 30. Don't live in your fears. Mm. Interesting idea. Hey, so next up are the Bengals. And you were talking about Joe Burrow. And you yeah. you were looking forward to that because this will be maybe the first real test of a um Yeah. Of a passer, of a good passer. Yeah, more or less. I mean, Burrow, he is just killer. He's amazing. I don't know how their line's gonna hold up against our rush if we actually show up to freaking play this week, but uh he's gonna have some trouble. With the Steelers' pass rush, for sure. But, man, he is just so beast with pressure in his face. And he throws down the field, and he's not scared. So this is the only team so far that the Steelers are really going against in terms of, like, their goal is to throw down the field. Yeah, uh, uh, Tennessee does it a little bit, but that's like, hey, we're going to play action and hit our shots. That's kind of our thing. But uh, I, I am excited to see the Steelers play a team that is really trying to expose that part of the field. And um, it should be some good training. I hope that the Steelers wipe the floor with them, though. The Bengals are better than some people would think because they got some playmakers as well. But, man, you would hope that they would wake up, right? Did that, did that game get flexed into the nighttime spot, I wonder? Yeah, 425. Damn. I love and I hate that 425 slot. I mean, mm. I like to have the afternoon open, but I can't go to bed if, on a game like 
that we had yesterday. Yeah. If the game ends at 7.30. Yeah, and it's dark out, and you're like, what the hell just happened? We won, but man, it's hard. And you're looking for an outlet for all that stress. Yeah, you are. <laughs> exactly. I'm not a I'm not a big fan of the of the 4:25 kickoffs. I like the the the. Well, it's noon for me down here in, in Central Time in Houston, but and I know how much it sucks to have to watch the night games. But watching the Steelers at night is just so hard to beat. I mean, it's primetime television, and I and I get a little bit of a boost because my whole life I had the same problem you did, where it's like, wow, it's one in the morning now. Uh, getting one hour back helps a lot, but the 425 is kind of like, hey, what are we, what are we doing here? Come on, I'm too anxious. I want to see this thing. Let's go. Visit the website SteelersOutpost.com. Check us out on Instagram at SteelersOutpost. Hit us up on Twitter at SteelersOutpost or shoot us an email at SteelersOutpost at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Until next week, go Steelers. Okay, bye bye. This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. Is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with indeed leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences so the more you use indeed the better it gets and listeners of this show will get a 75 dollars sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at indeed.com match just go to indeed.com match right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash match. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. Searching for NBA playoff coverage? We've got you. The Old Man and the Three, presented by BMW, gives you an inside look into the world of sports. Hosted by former NBA sharpshooter and Duke legend J.J. Redick and sports writer Tommy Alter, The Old Man and the Three offers unprecedented access to the league. Tommy and J.J. discuss the NBA and interview some of the biggest names in the league, like Devin Booker and Luka Doncic. NBA final season is the perfect time to dive in, and you can listen to The Old Man and the Three wherever you get your podcasts. To hear episodes brought to you by BMW. Push the limits this NBA season with the brand that set the ultimate standard. BMW, the ultimate driving machine.